Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, lead Pastor Matt Dean continues our series in First and Second Peter, taking a look at our corporate identity in Christ and what it means to belong to one another. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're in a series called A Living Hope, and we're looking at Peter's letters to the church. Uh, we'll be in First and Second Peter throughout the duration of this summer, and we're picking up this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you're turning to your Bibles, if you're new here this morning, just to bring you up to speed with where we have been, Peter is writing to exiled believers in what would be modern-day Turkey, and he's writing this letter, a circular letter that was passed around local churches throughout this region, and he was reminding them that in the face of hostility and harassment and pending persecution in an unfriendly environment, so to speak, to follow Jesus, to take heart to be of courage, to remember that Jesus is trustworthy, and to remember what we have in him. Peter is reminding them that they've been born again to a living hope, this living hope through the resurrection of Christ, and we've been born again to an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance that is kept in heaven by God for you. He's reminding them that in the face of hostility, remember what God has given you, and remember how God is keeping this for you. Peter reminds them that you've been shielded and guarded by God's power. Think that through. Shielded and guarded by God's power. Here's how. Through faith. It is your faith. Faith is the currency to experience God's faithfulness. Shielded by, guarded by God's power through faith. And Peter is reminding them that in the face of suffering, that suffering or trials, grief, it serves to strengthen and authenticate your faith. I want to remind you of that this morning. If you're walking through difficulty, adversity, suffering, those sufferings and those trials are not to be wasted in the economy of God. You can trust God in the midst of suffering. You can trust him in the middle of trials. Those trials serve to strengthen and authenticate and refine your faith so that your faith is in God and not in your comfort, that your faith is in God and not the things that you can control. God is in control. You are not. And these trials, they serve to strengthen us and to refine our faith. Peter's encouraging these believers to put your hope fully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed upon the return of Christ and to put your faith and your hope in God. And Peter is challenging them to love one another earnestly with a sincere brotherly love. Now, why does he have to say this? If you can just put yourself into that context for a moment, You're new to following Jesus. The people around you are new to following Jesus and you've got different backgrounds and yet now here you are following Jesus and there's something new in you. The Holy Spirit's at work in you and your desires have changed, your purpose has changed, your plans have changed, your affections have changed. You are a new creation in Christ alongside other new creations in Christ and everyone around you is not real thrilled that you're following Jesus, culturally speaking, And here you are, this band of brothers, these men and women gathered around, huddled around the word of God and the story of the gospels of Jesus. And life still is difficult. Those people still were struggling with sin, just like we still struggle with sin. And Peter's having to write into their context of saying, hey, I just want to remind you of who you are and what God has done. And that reminder for them is a timely reminder for us too. And it will be a timely reminder for all who follow Jesus, because no matter what, Hostility and harassment, it's coming our way. Trials and suffering headed in our direction. And some of us are standing in the middle of that now. So in light of this salvation, 
And in light of this living hope, Peter begins to speak lovingly and firmly into their identity as the people of God. And just so you know, for the weeks ahead, Peter's going to identify, hey, this is what it means to relate as the people of God. And the next week, he's going to speak more so about in relationships, this is as the people of God, how we are to relate to one another as the people of God. And then the following week is how do we suffer well together as the people of God. So that's the direction that we're moving in. So we're going to pick up this morning in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. Peter says, two Christians, I remind you, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor, Peter says, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But Peter says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, speak it out, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received God's mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's beginning to speak into them as their identity. And he says, the first thing we need to remember is this, we've got to put some things away. We can no longer behave in this manner. So this word, verse two, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This was written to Christians. Anyone looked up the definition of malice in Greek? Here it is. The feeling of hostility and strong dislike with an implication of wanting to do harm. That's not just, I don't like you. It's like, I'm gonna take you out. He's writing to believers. He's saying, you, you gotta be done with that. And, and we know that hurt people hurt people, right? We get that. And Peter's saying the same thing. He's like, you can't act that way anymore. Whatever's in you, this, this brewing that you just want to take someone out, you, that, no more of that, church. He says, you got to put away deceit. No more deceiving one another. No more lies. No more falsehood. No more, no more trickery. No more hypocrisy, acting like you're one thing, but really when you're, you're not. you got to put away envy. No more, no more jealousy. No more slander. No more talking badly about people, especially members of the household of God. I just want to ask you the question. Anyone guilty of any of these things? Don't raise your hand. Here we are. Have you been tempted lately to say something bad about another believer because you're hurt? Have you been so hurt that you want to hurt them? Are you jealous? Are you, are you living in hypocrisy, unconfessed sin, acting like all is well when 
the reality is there's some broken things within. Peter's saying, no, we can't do this anymore. And Peter says, like newborn infants, and I love this image, long for pure spiritual milk. If you're a parent in the room, you know when a baby's hungry. And if you're a mother in the room, you know what that baby's after. And it says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This image of breastfeeding, it's an image of trust. It's an image of intimacy, an image of dependence and of great purpose. We know when children are born that the greatest nutrients they can receive is in the first bit of breast milk that they receive from their mother. That's nutrient-dense nutrition for them. They, they, they need that. And, and Peter's saying, listen, and like a newborn infant, long for pure spiritual milk. Go to the source of true nourishment for your soul that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And we too are to trust and to draw near to the Lord, growing up into our salvation as we taste and see that the Lord is good. I, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? In recent days, have you given the Lord your heart? Have you drawn near to him with a heart of faith? Have you given him your affection, your attention? Have you given him time? How do we draw near to the Lord? Well, we draw near in our hearts. We draw near in his word. We draw near in his presence. We draw near in prayer. We draw near in worship, both corporately and personally. That's how we draw near to the Lord. That's how, just like a baby to a chest, it's the same way we are to draw near to the Lord. Peter goes on and he says this actively, as you come to him. Now, let's just pause for a moment. He has welcomed to us. He, he has sought us out, redeemed us, chosen us, called us. He's, he, God has done all these things. But Peter says, but as you come to him. So there's all that God has done that allows us to come to him. Right? It's his grace that saves us so that we can come to him. I want to ask you this morning, do you go to him? Because Peter's saying, as you come to him, which means there's an active faith response of God's people that requires and indicates, I'm choosing to draw near. I'm choosing to bring my heart. I'm choosing to bring my life. I'm choosing to say hello to you, God. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, as you come to him, like living stones, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I could preach for days on end of the grace of God and what he has done for us on our behalf. If I could preach one sermon, that would be the sermon of what God's grace has done, how he is such a great redeemer. But there is something also to say when God's people remember that we are to come to him because he has come to us. And I want to show you in the word this morning through a variety of verses why it's good for us to go to him. He's already come to us, but do you go to him? An active response of faith is drawing near to the Lord. Lamentations 3, the Lord is good to those who seek him. Psalm 34, those who seek the Lord will not lack. Ezra 8, the hand of our God is on, on all who seek him. Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me. First Chronicles 16, let those who seek the Lord rejoice. Psalm 105, 3, let those who seek the Lord rejoice. Psalm 40, let those who seek you 
rejoice. Psalm 70, let those who seek you rejoice. Psalm 119, happy are those who seek him. Psalm 22, those who seek him will praise him because when you see him, he is worthy of praise. Proverbs 28, those who seek the Lord will understand all things. Psalm 9, you have not forsaken, Lord, those who seek you. Psalm 69, you who seek God, let your heart revive. Peter's saying, as you come to him, as you come to him, you're being built up like living stones, being built into a house that God is doing. God's grace is the precedent. God's grace makes all this possible, but our faith response is, I draw near to you. In faith, I'm drawing near to you. With my heart, I'm giving you my affection. With my mind, I'm giving you my attention. Peter says, Jesus, this living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, Jesus was chosen and precious. And Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to this precious living stone, you are being built up as a house. The writer of Hebrews says this, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ, Jesus, this living stone, is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. As we come to him, we're being built up to be a holy priesthood. Notice the corporate identity here. This speaks against American individualistic culture. And all these metaphors that Peter is writing about, it is less about the individual and more about the community of faith following Jesus. This holy priesthood is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We say it often here at this church that that our response is a worship is our whole life response to who God is and what he has done. And I want to just focus in for a moment on this idea of offering something to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. No one else but you can speak from your mouth. So only you can offer your praise to God. No one else can offer service from your life than you. No one else can give generously from your resources than you. No one can serve others more sacrificially from your body, your life, your all that you've got than you. In other words, my word of praise to God, my song of praise to God, it can't be yours. It's got to be mine. And my offering, my generosity, my obedience, it's got to be mine just like it's got to be yours. And when we seek the Lord, he's listening for your voice and your words. And when you think about generosity and why, why tithing in the Bible is for your good, when he says, test me and see, no one else can give on your behalf. So when he says, test me and find me faithful, he's saying, find me faithful because I care about you, but I can't take it from you. I'm not going to take it from you. I could take it from you. Maybe I should take it from you. I want you to bring it to me. I want you to see that you can find me faithful. Or we see in the Psalms where it says, sing a new song to the Lord. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. No one else can praise on your behalf. It's less about your voice and more about your heart where you say, God, you, with your own mouth, God, you are good to me. With your own life, God, I give you my life. And Peter's saying we've been built up to be this holy priesthood to offer sacrifices. I just want to challenge you this morning. No one can praise 
in your place. No one can write a check from your account other than you. No one can serve other people with your strength other than you. Offer it up and find him to be faithful. Because to not speak a word of praise, to not sing a song of praise, to not give generously in his name, in his kingdom, is to say truthfully, I'm not acknowledging that you're even there. I'm not acknowledging that this is even true. I, in fact, am not believing you. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercy, offer your lives, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, this is your spiritual worship. Peter then, he again reminds him of this salvation that, that prophets of old talked about. Just like he mentioned in chapter one, he's reminding these believers of God's sovereignty over salvation by drawing on Old Testament verses. He says, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected, he's drawing on Isaiah 28, Psalm 118, and Isaiah 8. This stone of stumbling, this rock of offense, he's talking about this, pointing them again back to the Old Testament like he did in chapter 1. But then he begins to speak into them as their identity, and it sounds poetic. Listen, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That just rolls off the tongue that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's not poetry, though. Peter's reminding them of Old Testament images, images where through the people of Israel and the prophets of Israel, he's, he's speaking back to them what they would have already known. And Peter uses four Old Testament images to remind them again as they face hostility that they belong to God and they belong to one another. This idea of a chosen race, that's not poetic. This is from Deuteronomy 10. Listen to this. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. Look at this. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's why Peter can say you're a chosen race. And when it gets to you're a royal priesthood, listen to this from Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession and the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This idea of a holy nation is, is housed in Deuteronomy chapter seven. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you out from all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. This idea of a people for his own possession, this is from Malachi 3. It says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Why why is Peter saying this? He's arming them with confidence and credibility that they would proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into light. That's why he speaks to their identity so that they and we can proclaim literally out loud, he is excellent, and here are all the reasons why. But Peter would go on and say, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, that sounds poetic, but it's not. It's from Hosea. It's from Hosea, and listen, this this thought of not a people, now a people, once no mercy, now you, you have received mercy. Peter is again calling back to the Old Testament and the prophet Hosea who was called to marry a harlot, a prostitute, a woman of ill repute. And part of God's judgment against Israel was to say to Hosea, I want you to marry her. And all the children that you have, I'm going to give special names. And those names were judgments against the people of God. The son's name was Jezreel. That's not a great name. That means an indication of avenging punishment. Hi, I'm Jezreel. So good to meet you. Violence is headed your way. Of the Lord. The daughter, Lo Ruhama, it sounds kind of good, but it's not. That name means not loved. Hi, this is my daughter. Her name is not loved. It's a judgment. This, this son's name, Lo-Ami, sounds nice in English, not so great in Hebrew, because it means not my people. We've got, this is my son, avenging punishment and violence. This is my daughter, not loved. This is my son, not my people. That was the outcome of that. And when Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are, once you had not received mercy, but now you have, bear that in mind when you listen to this from Hosea 1. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. That happened. That judgment came down. It landed on them. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Talk about grace. Talk about mercy. Once you were not a people, now you are. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. Peter goes on and he says, I'm urging you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the non-Jews honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, in fact, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Again, we have this corporate imagery, sojourners and exiles, right? He's speaking to this body of believers and he's saying, abstain, walk the other way with these passions of your flesh that wage war against your soul. 
I promise you this, the longer you walk with Jesus, the clearer it becomes what is of flesh and what is of the spirit. If you're new to following Jesus, it probably is a little confusing. But as you know the word and as you grow in your relationship with him, you realize this is of the spirit of God because it leads to peace and joy and righteousness. This is of the flesh because it leads to sin, regret, and shame. And he's saying, walk the other way. Abstain. The passions of the flesh are real. We all know what it means to hunger and crave for not the right things. But he's saying it's waging war against your soul. That's why Paul would say, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Who will, in fact, save me? The longer you walk with Jesus, the greater your knowledge of his grace is. And if you meet someone in older age who's walked faithfully, faithfully with Jesus, I assure you that grace will be their testimony because they know the older they get, the more they realize just, in fact, how sinful they actually are. We are more sinful than we realize that, right? You get that. And God, even in his mercy on that, has not fully revealed to us, to me, to you. He knows, we just don't know. We really don't even know how broken we are on the inside. Not because you're not a good person, because you're dead on the inside before you come to faith in Jesus. And we've all been affected by sin. The gospel is, he's paid the penalty for that. And your penalty, which is significant, is paid in full. So he's saying, so watch your flesh because it's waging war against your soul. Go the other direction. Here's why. Because there are people watching. And they may say you're an evildoer. But the reality is if they see you as an evildoer and then realize that you're repenting of those evil ways and confessing your trust in Jesus and putting your hope in this living God, they, in fact, may see those good deeds. And they, in fact, may glorify God. So today, when we think about this particular passage of Scripture, I just want to offer you three very simple observations. Number one, there is a very clear line in life between people of God and people of the world. It's a very clear line. All people are sinners. Some people are redeemed. And the redeemed know what it means to pursue true love to walk in humility before God, to put away the old ways and for us older people to keep putting away these old ways so that repentance is not a one-off deal, but repentance is actually a way of life so that we fight against sin and sinful behaviors. But when we sin, we confess our sins to the Lord. We confess our sins to one another that we may find forgiveness and healing, right? That we repent and once again endeavor to walk in newness of life. You ever been in that moment where you've made a bad decision and just guilty, 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 and you've gone to the Lord and you've confessed it as, Lord, this is wrong. What I did was not right. I'm bringing it to you. I'm trusting your grace is sufficient for me. And you're still just, you're still stuck with your feelings. That's why it also says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Why? Because to confess sin to another Christ follower appropriately in a, in a context of trust, obviously, that's why we find healing. That's how we find healing. Forgiveness is from the Father, but healing is through humility. And there's a real clear line between people of God and people of not. You are the people of God. So let repentance be a way of life for you and for me. Let it be a way of life that we would keep our aim in this life and the life to come to 
know God, enjoy God, savor his grace for us and, and glorify him. Number two, only you can make the choice to seek God and bring an offering. Only you. No one can do it for you. Only you can make the choice to seek God and bring an offering. Peter's words, as you come to him, is this reminder we are to actively seek God and that it is always for our good. No one can speak a word in your place. No one can sing a song of praise in your place. No one can trust God with financial stewardship in your place. You have to trust God with financial stewardship in your place. No one can serve someone else with your body. You've got to offer your life, your resources, your heart, your mind, your affection, your attention. Only you can make that choice to seek God and to bring an offering. And just like David says in Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, here's the word, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. And I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. Number two, only you can make that choice to bring an offering. Only you can make that choice. Finally, number three today, our identity in Christ is not individual. American culture says it is all about you and yours. The gospel says it is about the people of God and the glory of God. And we don't even realize, as predominantly an American congregation, how individualistic our thinking is and how easily we can make decisions that are only affecting our lives. But the truth is this, as the body of Christ, our decisions actually affect one another. And when we fail to live out these kingdom callings and purposes together, there is collateral damage. And so we belong to God and we belong to one another. That's why all these images of living stones and a priesthood and a chosen race and a royal priesthood, that's why they're all corporate. Once you were not a people, now you are. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. Once you were not a priesthood, but now you are. Once you were not a chosen race, but now you are. Once you were not a people for his own possession, now you are a people for his own possession, that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a strong reminder of what it means to belong to you and what it means to see ourselves as connected by grace through faith to you and one another. And I pray, Lord, that as we wrestle with your word, that we would come to you through truth and in spirit, Father, and that we would be willing, if not ever before, we would be willing now to speak a word of praise, to sing a song of praise, to give and to trust you and to trust your faithfulness, to trust you as we offer up sacrifices to you, acceptable to you, through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning for all who hear this word that you would equip them for every good work and every purpose that you have for their lives, Lord. We remember that you will fulfill your purposes for our lives. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening this week. We hope you all have a restful summer and look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Until then, you can find out more online at gracealburn.church.